You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Let's stay standing and turn our eyes to the heavens as we open up God's Word and start with the word of prayer this morning. Father, what an awesome privilege it is this morning to come into your house and to worship, not just your great name, God, your awesome name, the name that is above every name. Lord, we gladfully and joyfully bow to you this morning and say you are are our God. Father, as we open up your word this morning, one of the greatest ways we can worship you is simply to open our ears and our hearts to be receptive of the message you want for us. God, we believe that your word is living and active and we believe you're gonna speak to us this morning through your word. And so God, would you speak in a way that impacts our hearts? Not just so we learn more head knowledge, but God, that our hearts would be drawn to the truths that you call us to and we'd actually live them out courageously for you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to go ahead and take a seat uh, this morning. Second, uh, Timothy chapter 4. We're going to finish off this book this morning, verses 9 to 22. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, stick your hand up and usher. will be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word uh, in your lap that you can follow along. Second Timothy 4, verses 9 to 22. Of course, I want to wish all the fathers a uh, happy Father's Day today. So we're thankful for our fathers. I'm thankful. We're thankful for our fathers. Yeah. And if fathers of your kids didn't tell you this yet, happy Father's Day. My son, middle of first song this morning, the first service, he's like, oh yeah, happy Father's Day, Dad. And so if they didn't tell you, let me tell you first. Happy Father's Day, Dad. We love you and appreciate you uh, so much, and we're in your corner um, as you aim to lead your kids. We're proud of our dads in our church. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22 is where we're going to be. And the title of this sermon, uh, Love People, Trust God. Love people... Trust God. Here's some words that we know so well. In God we trust. Heard that motto before? In God we trust? Of course we have. It's a slogan of the USA. It's a slogan of actually Florida and Nicaragua all at the same time. In God we trust. It's printed on every piece of American currency since uh, 1956. And uh, so noticeable it is for us. I think sometimes we just pass it by. Don't give it two thoughts. But think about this. In God we trust. What a strong statement, isn't it? In God I trust. The reality is if we're going to live out the Christian faith uh, uh, courageously before Jesus today, in God I trust is not a cool slogan we should have um, in our knowledge somewhere. It's a, it's a, it's a slogan that we got to have printed, not just on currency, but in a, anywhere we can to remind ourselves every day that it's in God I trust. It's in God I trust. On your door frame, as you come in your house, it would be so helpful to reminder, wouldn't it? In God I trust, on your mirror, in your bathroom, above your mirror, in God I trust. Maybe on your door, on your, above your bedpost, in your bedroom, in God I trust. Maybe even printed on your heart somewhere. Really printed, in God I trust. Because the reality is, if we're going to live for Jesus courageously, it's not in God I should trust, or in God I could trust, it's in God I must trust. I find it interesting that in God I trust is on every piece of American currency. Isn't that one of the greatest nemesis of our culture maybe is the temptation to put our trust in our money? 
and in our stability and our finances and our bank accounts. Let's be honest, it's one of my big struggles, right? Bank account's good, I'm doing good. It's not, oh my goodness, it's not in money I trust, it's in God I trust. It's not just money we're tempted to put our false hope in, though, is it? Here's another couple of things I think in our culture we're tempted to put our false hope in. We say, in God I trust, but what many of us mean is in me I trust. Oh, no, I trust God. I hope in God. But really what we're counting on is us, me. And, and I'm a self-defined person. I'm self-driven. And I'm self-sustained. And I self, 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 self. And I'm self-accomplished. And just so you know, that's also a futile place to put your trust. In fact, Galatians, uh, sorry, Philippians 3.3 tells us that we are to put no confidence in the flesh, but to glory in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because yourself will let you down almost every time. I know it's different than the world tells us, but it's true. It's not in I, I trust. It's in God, I trust. Here's another one we're tempted to put our confidence in. It's in, it's in you, I trust, or in others, I trust. Put our hope in other people. You know, if only they'll think properly of me, then I'm going to be okay or secure with my stability of my family or my friend circle, my ability to influence or the strengths the strength of those around me. If I can just surround myself with the right people, then I will be okay. Thought you're thinking, found yourself thinking about that lately? Human tendency, and yet we look from Psalms 118.8. It says this, it's better to take refuge in the Lord rather to trust in man. It's really what Paul's reminding us today as we go throughout this last part of 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's reminding us today that there's only one place to put our hope. It's not in money. It's not in yourself. It's not in others. It's truly only in the Lord. And so uh, oftentimes we come to this text like this, though, and we kind of stop reading. I told you last week it was the climax of the series, really. It was the end. And so we just kind of brush off all these little things at the end and like, ah, they don't even matter. They're sort of like the dedication at the beginning of a book, right, where they say, I dedicate this book to my mom and my wife and my kids and my editors and all my little friends that made it happen. You're like, who cares about that stuff? Or the credits at the end of the movie. How many of you guys watch the credits at the end of a movie? Yeah, me neither. As soon as that movie's over, it's like, done, gone to bed, whatever, right? Like, on to the next. And who watches credits? Because it's all like just, here's the names of all the people who played major roles, and who cares? We just saw the movie. And so it's kind of, kind of how we treat the end of books like 2 Timothy 4, and yet we have to realize this this morning, uh, brothers and sisters, every word in the Bible is there on purpose for our benefit. Amen? Amen. God doesn't waste words. And let's be honest, as pastors, we're like, it's not like, yeah, I get to read the, preach on the last part of all Paul's friends. That's never usually it. But yet, as I study this week, there's so much in here for us, so much in here for us to remind us that our hope is not in myself. My hope is not in others. It's in God. Let me read it for you and then unpack this for you the best I can. You know, personal instructions, it says here, starting at verse 9. This is Paul to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, Paul's saying to Timothy, for Demas... In love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone, Luke alone is with me. Everyone else is gone but Luke. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Notice that word twice, deserted. 
May it not be charged against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila in the household of one Sephorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do uh, Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Kind of a strange list, isn't it? A little odd, don't you think? It's like old man Paul reminiscing about his whole life. And he's like, usually in your last moments, you're like, and I just want to remember all the good things that ever happened, all the good people. And yet he's sort of like, good person, not so good person, good person, Horrible person. Like he's kind of like remembering everything. Remembering all the major people that played a role in his life, both positive and negative, you'd expect some shout-outs, but Paul also does some call-outs in this text. He's reminding us, I think, this morning that we need to take stock in people, but ultimately put our ultimate stock in the Lord. We need to love people along the way, but ultimately we don't put our hope in people. We put our hope in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Isn't it true that people in life are the greatest joys that we have? As well as, on the other hand, people are also the source of our greatest disappointments in life. Ministry in life would be easy if it wasn't for people. <laughs> but yet, life and ministry wouldn't be worth living with if it wasn't for the people. Paul's not dissing on people. He's not trying to minimize people. All he's saying is like, love people, but don't forget your ultimate hope is in one place. It's in Jesus. Here's the first thing you can write in your notes as we unpack this. Paul's sort of like a little rambling old man in this text, to be honest. He's sort of like, I remember that, and oh yeah, over here, and oh yeah, what about that? And like talking to your grandma sometimes, you're like, where are you, mom? Like, stay on track here. That's how Paul feels like. So we're going to lump these together in just a few categories. We're not going to go verse by verse like we always do. We're going to lump a couple categories, and we're going to start with this. Paul is encouraging us, Timothy and us, to cherish those as God has placed, God has placed in our lives. It's a proper perspective on God and relationships. Number one, I'm to cherish those that God has placed in my life. Look at verse 9. This is Paul at the end of his life. What do we all want at the end of our lives? We want people around us that love us. Who here has a plan somehow to die alone? None of us. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, can you just come to me? I love you so much. Just come to me and, and be with me. Remember, Timothy is, is Paul's little, little partner in ministry. He's, uh, Paul is Timothy's spiritual father. They're, they're, he's his mentor. They're ministry partners. They're colleagues. They're also friends, and they're brothers in Christ. Along the, way of, along the way of Paul's life, we have this image sometimes that Paul's this hard-hearted guy and he just shares the truth. Here's what Paul put a lot of stock in. He put a lot of stock in people as he shared the truth. Paul loved people. His life revolved around people. Uh, not just Timothy. We learned that from 2 Timothy in the beginning. Paul loved Timothy, but he refers to uh, the people in the churches he planted in Philippians and, and uh, Thessalonica, Thessalonica and Thessalonica. Thessalonians, he, he says that he loves the people with a, an affection of Jesus or the full affection of God. It reminds us, even right from this verse, that people must be a priority for our lives and ministry. A life well lived must 
include others. Somehow we've gotten in our North American culture this idea that, you know, I live my life and it's my life and if you benefit me, then maybe I'll let you into my life and if you can serve me well or I can serve you, then it's not that. It's life is about people. How beautiful it is at the end of his life, Paul knew who to call on those that he loved the most. There's no such thing as a believer who can't stand other people. I'm an introvert pastor. Introverts, extroverts, we all need people as part of the human experience and and. Paul really unpacks for us some of the people that meant the most to him in life. Timothy, he's basically showing us that he meant a lot to him, just by saying, come here, come be with me at my last moments. Then in verse 11, he looks at another man, Paul, or Luke. Paul looks at Luke, who he says this, like, here's another person who I cherish so much. Luke alone is with me, and in the midst of all these things, Luke is with me. In the midst of my life and my, my comings and my goings and my persecutions and my beatings and all the things, there's one person that remains solid forever. That was Luke. Who's Luke? He's Dr. Luke. He was uh, Paul's ministry partner, his right-hand man. And when everyone else ran away, like Luke stayed tight. They did road trips together. They did missionary journeys together. They faced arrest together. They faced imprisonment together. When the going got tough and everyone else got going, Luke was tight. Faithful man who played really second fiddle in life and ministry. Every, every good leader needs a second fiddle. Second fiddle in life and ministry. We don't really know much about Luke except he followed Paul around. He was a physician before. Dr. Luke was a physician before he got saved. After he got saved, uh, he was an evangelist and a historian. And he followed uh, Paul around and he just took notes. He took notes of Paul's life. Actually, that's how we got the gospel of Luke. Makes sense, right? Luke wrote, not super smart, but that makes sense, doesn't it? And so he's documenting the life of Christ as he's walking with, with Paul. And then he gives us the book of Acts, which is the early church. Such a faithful, faithful minister that didn't write most of the Bible, but he wrote some really significant things by playing second fiddle. Lone Ranger and, Lone Ranger and Tonto. Some of the young guys are like, what? This is, this is for us old guys. Lone Ranger and Tonto. Batman and, this is better, Batman and Paul and Luke. Isn't it true that we all need somebody, somebody to go through life with that we can count on 100%? It's God's great gift to us. We need someone that we know and can count on. It's God's great gift to us. For me in life, for sure, it's my wife. No shadow of a doubt, our husbands, and your husbands, your wives, and wives, your husbands, they're, they're God's gift to you. It's not just that you could like hook up and have kids. It's that God gave you a partner that you can do life together, how valuable that is. In this last nine months of my life, I guarantee you I wouldn't be standing here without my partner who's been with me through the thick and thin. Think ministry, how lonely ministry is without other people doing ministry together. Ministry is hard. It's difficult, and God's blessed us in our church with people around me that have, have been trustworthy and, and, and reliable. We got David from day one, and then Brett joined us a little bit after, and Connie, and Tara Lee, and, and Andy, and Charles, and Jenny, and, and Nathaniel, and Nathan, and the, the list, the list, the list, and... Some of them you don't see, very, they're not very prominent. Others are more prominent, and yet, you know what? Couldn't do life without them. People are God's greatest blessing to you, and you need to cherish them. I think this is what Paul is doing here. He's cherishing them. You need to be thankful for them. So many people are like, oh, yeah, there's people in my life, whatever. No, be thankful for those that God has placed in your life. Look who else he calls out here. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, he says. This is John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Almost seems like he's kind of a, 
kind of a schmoozer or something, isn't it? Well, that guy's going to be useful to me, but you have to understand the story of Mark. This is a big turnaround in the life of Paul. Mark was the guy who was kind of the Jerusalem boy who was part of the first core group of the first church. They actually probably hosted it in his house. And uh, Mark was the up-and-coming Christian leader that they invited on the first missionary journey, only to get going on the first missionary journey in Acts 13. And, and uh, Mark's like the little, the little mama's boy. He's like, I don't want to go home. I miss my mom. We don't know what the full real deal is, but something went wrong there, right? Probably maybe it was too much for him. Maybe he just couldn't handle it. And so they, they send him packing. Acts 8, Acts 4, 15. Then it's Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is like, come on, Paul. Give little Marky Mark a second chance. Paul's like, no way, man. We don't need mama's boys on this journey. He can go home. In other words, he's useless for me. They had a big, big fight, and they took went their separate ways, and somewhere in between there and here, like some 20 years later, like Mark found his big boy pants, and all of a sudden he's being useful for ministry. And now, Paul's saying, can you bring him as well? For I need that guy. I can miss that guy. It's just a good reminder for us that we just don't write anyone off in life. is isn't easy for us to like, you know, you're useless to me, and, or you let me down, or you failed me, so like, I'm done with you. Come on, we've all done that. You're looking at me like I'm the only one. We've all done that. It's a good reminder that life's too short for that. God's too big for that. God can, can do some pretty amazing stories and still some stories of reconciliation left in, in our lives and in our church. And, and it's just a little, a little reminder here in relationships that, that um, life's too short to hold grudges. You need people more than you really know. And, and God wants to do some work in even your relationships as we even study this, that maybe you'd be reconciled to those that maybe you thought have been useless in your life. And in fact, they're actually very useful for you in so many different ways. Goes on to talk about Carpus at Troas, a friend whom he probably just stayed at his house and left his cloak there and his books. And so you think, well, this guy's kind of insignificant, don't know who he was, don't even really know much about him, but we do know this, that he was trustworthy enough for Paul to leave his coat, you're like, big deal, he left his coat there. What, did he forget it, absent-minded? No, you just didn't leave coats hanging around when you were in Paul's day. The persecution was so strong that you held on to your tightest possessions closely because they wouldn't be there very long. So a cloak is a heavy, it's like a blanket. It was used to keep you warm at night and wear around during the day. And so he needed some trustworthy place where he could keep it. And he talks about the, 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 the books and the parchments. He's talking probably about the Old Testament. He needed a place to store his Bible. Why would he leave his Bible there? Probably because he was being arrested soon or being chased out of somewhere. He's like, can I stash my Bible under your bed? I need someone trustworthy. And the papers, papers were valuable back then. And, and this is all the, the parchment and the, the animal skins that were reserved for special documents. Probably the, the same papers that letters were written on by Paul that were held there and the letters that were going to be written. Like, why would he put this in the Bible? Who cares? You know why? Because we all need trustworthy people in our lives. Whether they play the significant role we think they should play or not, we all need just regular, average, trustworthy people. Maybe not really tight, 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 BFFs, you know, but people that we can just count on and that when we know we're in a pinch that they're going to be there for us. And you probably have those people in your life. You just kind of pass them off as, oh, there's people in my life. Don't pass anyone off as someone in your life. They're on purpose for the Lord, for your benefit and, and God's glory. Everyone's significant. At the end, in verse 19, he said, greet Prissa and Aquila. That's Prissa is short for Priscilla, so they were obviously tight if he used her short name. They were also tent makers who did some journeying with Paul or hosted him on the second missionary journey. 
the household of one Sephorus. One Sephorus was one of those guys that when, again, the chains came and the imprisonments came, uh, he wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't shy. You know, get me near Paul. Special people. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill. Just people that Paul picked up along the way. See, the ministry wasn't just about getting the word out. It was also about picking up friendships along the way. Do your best to come before winter. Uh, Eubulus sends greetings to you, as does uh, Puddins, Pudins, and Linus, not Charlie Brown, Linus, totally different guy. And Claudia, all, and all the brothers, just people that meant something to Paul along the way. It's part of what life's about. I hope you understand this. It's part of what life's about, people. It's what ministry's about. You've got to get out of this North American individualistic mindset in the church and realize it's not about me and my own and protecting. It's about those that I meet along the way. Here's the two tendencies we have in our church. We either take people for granted or we hold them up so high that we expect them to be almost like God to us, put them in, and expect so much of them that they could never fulfill all of our expectations of them. Somewhere there's a happy median in between of, of loving people and cherishing those that God has placed in your life. Do you realize that everybody that is in your life is in your life on purpose for a reason? To help you know God and fulfill your mission to this world. Everybody. Well, what about uncle? Everybody. What about everybody? I think here's what Paul's teaching us as we live courageously for him. Here's it takes courage to do this because it takes courage to put yourself out there. But here's how we live courageously for Jesus. We never underestimate the value of people. We never underestimate the value of people. People aren't here to accomplish your agendas. People aren't here to serve you. People are here to love and to influence your life in a beneficial way. How are they supposed to influence my life? Here's three ways people influence our lives as we even look at this text and how these people influenced Paul. God gives us people to edify our souls. God gives us people to edify our souls. In other words, we can edify our own souls through ministry of the word and through worship and all those things, but we need people around us to also edify our souls. You weren't created to do this life all by yourself or just with your spouse or just with your little, your little clique. People are given to us to edify our souls. How often do you walk through life and you think you've got yourself figured out until somebody comes along and reminds you that you don't have yourself figured out? In fact, you have some pretty big blind spots in your life. That's edifying to the soul. How many times do you get in a pinch when you just can't do it and you, you wish you could call out for help, but you're too proud to call out for help, but you need other people to come in and minister to that need? That's edifying the soul. Even that we won't walk through life lonely, loneliness and depression, massive in our culture. Why? Why? Because we're not letting people into our lives and letting people edify our souls. People are God's gift to you to edify your soul. They're also to, given to you to help you to serve. They're also given to you to help you to serve. I'm amazed at how some, some people in life and ministry think that they're going to go out and serve all by themselves with nobody else. That, that's like trying to play a hockey game against a whole team by yourself. You're not that good. You don't have that much stamina. Your skills aren't that great. Ministry is only meant to be accomplished together. And you need other people in your life to spur you on in ministry. You need other people in your life to compliment you in ministry. Oh, no, I got all the gifts. Uh, think again. 
Think of even the church. Like the church can't fulfill all of its function. I can't fulfill the function of the church. Our elders can't fulfill the function of the church. Our staff can't fulfill the function of the church. We need you to help us, and we need to help you. We need to learn from you and you, us, and to spur each other on and to encourage and challenge each other to serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need each other. Even when you think about the commands in the New Testament, you ever got to the New Testament, you're like, you're reading through the New Testament, you're like, oh my goodness, now I've got to be hospitable. Hmm. Oh, now I've got to be an evangelist. Oh my goodness, now I've got to be compassionate. <laughs> now I've got to be, you ever, if you tried to do all those things, guess what? You'd be discouraged and frustrated and fail. You know why? Because you're supposed to live out your gifts and your calling. You're supposed to let everybody else live out their gifts and calling. And then we become the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We need others to help us to serve and to actually fulfill your mission and our mission as a church together. It's just like doing dishes in our house. You ask someone after, after supper, hey, who wants to do dishes? Guess how many hands shoot up? Same as your house. None. You pull out all the stops as a dad, right? You're like, let's do it together. Let's make it a game. Yay, let's make it a game. That's ministry. No fun by yourself. Lots of fun together. Here's what else they do. They cause us to stand. They cause us to stand. You ever tried walking on the beach in a windstorm? The wind's blowing off the ocean, and you're like, you're like me. You're pretty little, and you don't have that much weight to you. What's the first thing you do? You grab the person next to you, right? And you, together you trudge across the beach and you find somebody else like, hey, link arms, grab on, right? And then you link arms with somebody else and you know, we're going to do this together. We're going to stand strong together, arm in arm and arm in arm. This is, what we, this is what it is to live the Christian life courageously. You can't do it by yourself. The wind is blowing too fierce. You need other people to link arms and to form a human chain or a human army that you can stand and you can move forward against the force of all opposition. You can't do it by yourself. You think you can stand by yourself, you'll find yourself flat on your face. Others need to call you to stand through the word of God. They need to, to encourage you to stand. They need to pick you up when you're down. They need to push you forward. You can't go anymore. Sometimes they need to pull you. We need others to cause us to stand. All this to say that people are massively important to us. In fact, Proverbs tells us, Proverbs tells us that it's a dangerous thing for a man or woman to isolate themselves, and for there's no chance they're going to stand. It's, it's foolish. It's stupid. It's God, God saying, who do you think you are? Just think, stop with me for a minute. Just think about all the people in your life that mean something to you, the, the faithful the faithful sidekicks, the, those that are trustworthy, those that are, help you in your ministry, those are just so-called friends. Just, just think of all those people that God has placed in your life and just take a moment right now just to thank God for them. I don't think we thank God enough for our people in our lives. How about you do this today? You, you go out of here and you make a point of like hugging them on the way out or going to their house and giving them a hug and just telling them like, I'm thankful for you. And you know what they'll probably say is, you are? Or the shepherd say, well, no one's ever told me that before. It's been a long time. Send them a phone call like, I think we're like Paul. At the end of our lives, I think you know, what we're going to be thankful for is all the people that meant something to us. Not the stuff you have. Not all your accolades, your gifts and abilities. It's the people around you that you get to celebrate a life well lived with. Take time to do that today. That's what Paul is really doing here at the end of his, at the end of his life. 
Here's the second thing I want you to write in your notes, because as you're talking about this, and you're probably thinking about this, you're probably thinking, that sounds good, Pastor. It sounds good, but that's risky business. I wish it was all fun and games, and I wish it would just be like, oh, yeah, campfire, right? Campfire, kumbaya. And friends are friends forever, you know. But it's risky. I don't know about you, Pastor. You may not live the same way I live, but, man, it's the same people I've tried to love that have hurt me the most. Some of my greatest scars I carry are from others whom I trusted, who trampled on that trust and chewed me up and spit me out. And what about that part of life? Well, Paul's no, Paul's no pie-in-the-sky guy. He's a realist. That's why I like him so much. Here's a reality of life that you just have to know as we go through, talk about love, love people, but trust in God. Truly loving people is often going to hurt. Truly loving people is often going to hurt. It even hurts to admit that I need others. Admit, sometimes it hurts to admit that I want others and to put myself out there to experience real relationships. Look at the life of Paul. Think of the life of Jesus. Oh my goodness, did everyone just welcome him with open arms? Nor Paul, nor you or I. Why do we think that there's something wrong with us when it doesn't work out in relationships? This is part of life. It's a part that God has ordained for us to know the full picture of his character and his glory, to see him in great ways. Truly loving people often hurts. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Here's what Paul says. Look, interesting to me. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. Unlike Demas, that little, who deserted me and abandoned me. Like, almost like he's a little crazy old man, hey? Like, come visit me. Not like Demas. <laughs> Remember him? Not him. Look what he says. Like, obviously, there's some pain in here, right? For Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Come, Timothy. Like Some of those that I trusted the most are now gone. Demas, at one time, along with Luke and Epaphras, was one of the apostles' closest ministry partners. And then, I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe it just got too difficult. And he's like, well, this is what it means to follow Jesus. I thought it was going to be easier than this. Oh, this is ministry? Well, I didn't get the sacrifice of this. Like, no one told me sacrifice, and I'm looking over there, and those guys have it so much better than you have it. They have money, they got food, they got luxury, that people aren't chasing them down to kill them. That'd be pretty nice. I think I'm going to love the world more than the call of God. I think it looks more appealing than this call, and so he deserted Paul for worldliness. How devastating would that be to the apostle Paul? The word deserted, you... Know the definition well in your own soul, don't me even defining it for you, because we've all been deserted at one point in life. The word deserted simply means it's a strong verb that means to utterly abandon and leave somebody helpless in a dire circumstance. You know, I say that, you're like, oh yeah, that's happened to me. And it hurts so bad, I'll never trust people again. Maybe especially in the church. Desertion's a big deal. In the army, desertion results in dishonorable discharge and forfeiture of pay and confinement of five years in jail. Because during the war, it's a death penalty. Can you imagine the pain of that for Paul? It sometimes feels like when people desert us, man, doesn't it feel like a death penalty? They're on their merry way. They're leaving me here. Hopeless, helpless. Thanks very much, friend. Stinks. Happens in ministry, happens in life. Those of you who think that ministry is just standing up in front of people and pontificating and telling great stories, this is not it. 
People the source of greatest joy. People also the source of the most tears in ministry. Why? Uh, just the way life goes. I know you poured into me. I know you loved me. I know I got saved and, and everything, but like, you stink. Really? Oh, well, you know what? It's a great, uh, I know everyone here has invested so much and given so much, but I'm going to go over there. I just want to like it a little bit better right now. And who knows? Maybe we'll be like, Really? Causes tears. You love people. You've experienced it in life. But Lola, where are you going? I thought. It reminds us that our ultimate hope can't be in people, right? <laughs> Nothing hurts more. But it means that you also can't stop trusting people, investing yourself in people, because you miss out on those relationships that are the good ones that we just talked about. But you have to realize in life, some are just going to take off. Some, some are going to be here and gone. Not to be like morbid about it or like negative about it. Just realize that's part of life and you're no different than anyone else. And yet God has ordained that person in your life for that season, for a reason. Embrace it. Smile and keep trusting the Lord. Some are going to be sent off, not just take off. Some are going to be sent off. Here's another group of people here. Demas deserted me. He abandoned me. Cretans has gone to Galatia, probably not the same reason he left, because he would have put him Demas and Cretans, no, whatever. Uh, he's probably a guy that was a friend that went to Galatia, the place that Paul loved, that he spent a, a little bit of time on every one of the missionary journeys. He probably went to support a church or something. He maybe got moved, job transfer, we don't know, but it doesn't matter why people leave, it still hurts, right? Titus to Dalmatia. Titus, we know, is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. The book of Titus is written to Titus from Paul just a couple of years earlier than this. He's probably equipping the church or doing some sort of ministry in Dalmatia. As hard as that is, it's, it's good, but it's still painful. It's still sad. Of course, then Luke alone is with him. Then we go down to 12. Tychicus, Tychicus, sent to Ephesus. Who's this guy? What's he about? He's probably Paul's personal courier that was delivering letters for him. And so, you know, even, the, even the, when they're, you know, the, you know they're coming back, it's still sad. They're gone, and I miss them. He was a ministry of, probably a ministry of jack of all trades with the gift of service. Let's just be honest. Anytime somebody takes a step out of your life, it's hard and it's sad. No point denying it, no point pretending that it's not true, and people come and go for all kinds of reasons. It's just an unfortunate part of life. Some people do get moved on. They get another ministry calling, or they get another job transfer, and, and people move on, and that's okay. It's sad, but it's okay. Sometimes relationships grow apart. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you can't trust anyone anymore. It just means it's part of life. I keep telling my son, you know, the friends you are in high school, don't give your everything to your friends in high school, because like five years later, you won't remember any of them, maybe. It's just part of life. It serves us well just to remember that, that we hold people closely and tightly, but we also hold people open-handedly. If God wants to do something different in your friends' lives, let them do it. Don't hold so tight, even your kids. Don't hold those relationships so tight that God's not able to, that you can't release them to the Lord for what his purposes are. I learned early on in ministry, it's, ministry is like preaching to a parade, and I think it's like living life. It's like going to the parade, and you're, you're standing along the side of a parade route in your life, and you're just seeing people pass you by, and some, some because the parade stops, linger there for a long time. You get to interact with them a little longer and talk with them and get to know them. Others are just like a passing acquaintance. We need to start looking at life that way so we don't get bitter and angry and just part of God's plan for us. And yet every person that's been a part of our lives was in our lives for that season specifically for a specific reason that we're not maybe going to see until we get to glory. 
Got to be okay to let people go. It's time to let them go. And here's the last one. Some are going to stand off. Some are going to take off. Some are going to be sent off. Some are going to stand off. And Paul gives more time for Alexander the coppersmith, and we have no idea who he really is, than most of these people that were good friends of his. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Who was he? Alexander was a common name in that day. Like David. Yeah, well, David did me harm. Well, who's David? How many Davids in this room? Like three or four? We don't really know who Alexander the coppersmith is, but coppersmith is a key. Uh, probably the same as Demetrius the silversmith who made idols. He made idols and made his money off of idols. And so when Paul came preaching his message, you know, he's like, you're ruining all my sales. You know, you're ruining all my sales. So he's like trying to harm him and stop his message and put an end to this guy's ministry. Alexander's probably one of those guys that made his idols out of copper instead of silver. And so it wasn't like, yeah, Alexander didn't like me. So Alexander wanted to probably kill me. He wanted to shut my mouth and shut it forever. He did me great harm. He did the work, of God, the work of the Lord great harm. Really, Paul encountered a lot of these people in his day. Encountered a lot of opposers. But look at how he didn't carry any vengeance. He didn't carry any angst. Because look what he says. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I don't have to worry about him. God didn't stop me. No one can stop what God has for me. I'm not going to be angry about what he did. But I just want to warn you. I want to warn you. Look. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Don't you wish it was all just the campfire stories and songs and laughter together in life, that every relationship was just a like, hey, we're friends. Unfortunately, this doesn't work that way. In fact, if you take up God on his word from 2 Timothy, the whole book, and live courageously for Jesus, you know what you're going to find? There's opposers everywhere! Even in the church. If you're going to live courageously for Jesus, you will face opposers. If you don't have any opposers in your life, you've got to stop and think, am I really living courageously for Jesus Christ? Jesus couldn't even go to his hometown. They'd run him out, and then they ran him right into a cross. Into an empty tomb. Paul. How many times has he left for dead after he got stoned, and yet God didn't let him die? Opposers are part of real life, and you're going to live for Jesus, you're going to have opposers. There's always people waiting for you to slip up that one word so they can jump on it. They're waiting for that one misstep so they can pounce on you. They're lurching behind the corners, hoping to put an end to your life, maybe not physically, but in a metaphorical way. I love Paul's response. He didn't deny it. He didn't pretend it wasn't there. He didn't try and run away from it. He just said, you know what, I'm going to leave it with God. I'm just going to leave it to the Lord. You smile and keep going. What do you do when the poses are in your life? You smile and keep going. You don't take offense to it because if you weren't preaching for Jesus, they'd probably like you as your best friend. It'd be amazing how many people are like really friendly to me until I tell them what I do. Hey, I'm a pastor. Whoosh, conversation stopper right there. But I thought this was going well. What do you do? You smile and keep going. You, you know why God puts these people in your life? You know why I put them in Paul's life? To keep us, he puts them in our lives to keep us grounded. Everyone liked us, man. Would it go to our heads fast? People like this in our lives are in our lives to keep us dependent upon the Lord. Because when you have opposers in your life, trust me, there are a lot there. It keeps you on your knees praying and seeking the Lord's face. It keeps you dependent upon the Lord. It keeps you humble really quickly. And so we can thank the Lord for our opposers instead of like begging God to get us out from under the opposers. 
And in the end, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of you anyways. It's only what God thinks. You can keep going with a smile. Amen? Amen. Isn't this true, people? Man, there's sometimes a greatest wild card of life. We love it when they come. We hate it when they go. But part of the human experience and the reality of life is really what Paul's saying here. This is, this is ministry. This is life. And we don't give up on people. Why? Because we're in the people business. God's in the people business. And if God's in the people business, it means we're in the people business as well. It means that we prepare for it. We embrace those that are in our lives for this season. We embrace them and we love them for all they're worth. We squeeze as much joy out of them as we can. We love them. And, and when people go, we, we keep on going and trust the Lord. Ultimately, whether people come or people go, ultimately people, we understand this. You understand this, right? People are fickle. I'm fickle. I wish I wasn't. People come and go, you, just when you think you can trust someone 100%, what happens? They let you down. Like, don't, don't put your stock in people. Don't put your hope in people. Don't put your hope in your spouse, your husband, is they're the ultimate, or your wife, they're the ultimate. Don't put your hope in your kids. Don't put your hope in your church family. Please don't put your hope in your pastor or your elders. We're all people. We'll all let you down. But guess what? There's one person who will never let you down, ever, 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 Jesus Christ. There's one person that will never take off, one person that will never uh, leave you for a little while. There's one person that will never oppose you. It's Jesus Christ. And if God is for you, if Jesus is for you, then no one can be against you. Amen. That's the crux of this passage right here in verses 17 and 18. Cherish those that are close. Realize that to truly love, if you truly love, if you truly love it's going to hurt sometimes. Don't fool yourself into this Hollywood idea of life. It's truly going to hurt sometimes, but get this. Above all, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Look at verse 17. I love these words in Scripture. I love these words in Scripture. Let me hit verse 16 so you don't say I, did, I missed it. This is Paul. My first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Look at his heart, but may it not be charged against them. So they got scared. So, so they maybe had a bad moment, but... But God, don't go after them. Like, give them grace. Verse 17, these are my favorite words in the Bible. But the Lord, three words, change the whole game, don't they? But the Lord. Here's these people that were amazing. Here's these people that weren't so much amazing. But the Lord. But the Lord, it all comes back always to but the Lord. Look at this. But the Lord stood by me. But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Can you believe that? In all of this reality of life, somehow God was still with me. Somehow he strengthened me, and some of the message still came out. And all the joys and all the tears with the people around me, somehow the Gentiles still heard the message through me. Amen. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. God rescued me from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And verse 22 says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Ultimately, we love people, back to the title, but we trust the Lord. We love people, but we trust the Lord. Say it with me. We love, but we you know, people have left the church because of a person. You're like, the church isn't about people. 
You know, people have retreated into their own little seclusion because of someone hurt them. Yeah, yeah, it hurts, but time to trust the Lord again. Try to get it on God's page again. Get your eyes on Jesus. Look what Jesus promises us. Look what he promises us. He stands by me. You know what that means? He's the friend you always long for that you'll never fully find here on earth. He always stands by me. It means that, that he always picks up the phone when you call when you're in a pinch. My life's notorious. I'm like, why do we have a phone for you? Whenever it's a pinch, you never answer. When it means nothing, you're right there. It's a joke. But get this, Jesus always answers the phone. Get this also, when you need a phone call the most, Jesus is the one dialing your number. Jesus is the one to pick you up when you're down. He's the one to surround you, protect you when you're protecting. Jesus is always with you. He strengthens you like a knee brace does to a knee. You put a knee brace on a knee. Mine's pretty fancy. It comes from here to here, and it strengthens and stabilizes your knee. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes around you, and he puts his arms around you, and he, he just solidifies your soul, and he strengthens it so you can't wobble to the left or the right. It keeps you going in the direction you're supposed to go. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He strengthens you for every good work that God has called you to. He utilizes me. I love this. Look at, look at Paul. Like, and somehow the message still got fully proclaimed that the Gentiles might hear. Here's the mystery of all mysteries, that God still uses me in spite of me and despite me. It's amazing. It's like the boss that... You keep messing up, and he keeps giving you jobs and giving you jobs, and you're sure this time he's not going to give you a job, and he calls you the next day and says, I've got a job for you. God continues to give us jobs in spite of our hurt, in spite of our pain, in spite of our joys and victories. God continues to use us for his purposes to get the ministry of the gospel going forward. He rescues me. Look what he says. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And at this point, you're like, really? Was Paul really rescued from the lion's mouth? Or is he getting a little dementia now? And he's like, no, that was Daniel. That was Daniel the lion's den. That wasn't you, Paul. Sorry, old fella. What's he talking about? He's, so far as we know, there was no lion in Paul's life. God rescued him from a lot of things. Remember, he was left to dead. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry, 2 Corinthians 11, all the things. He was whipped 40 times minus one on five different occasions. You know why it was 40 minus one? Because they thought 40 would kill him. So one just for good measure, one less. Almost kill him, but not quite. And yet God rescued him from the lion's mouth. The lion's mouth is just a, a, a metaphor for exorbitant danger, tumultuous danger. He rescued him from the lion's mouth. And we know from Paul's life, we know from our lives, what's, what's the lion's mouth? The lion is the enemy, First Peter, right? First Peter 5, traveling around like a roaring lion, waiting for someone to devour. Get this, the enemy's got his clamps. He's, he, you know what his best juicy meal is? It's your life and my life. I'm just about a chicken wing, but he likes chicken wings. And he's ready to devour. And when he's about to like stomp down on you, it's like God comes in, he's like, uh-uh, not today, not my child. He rescues you. He's like the fireman that pulls you out of the, the, the gorge, the Kew Gorge or the Falls Gorge. He rescues you from the pit. He's like the police officer that rescues you from the stalkers. The enemy stalks you. God rescues you. He's there to protect you. God is our rescuer. And he promises that he will not just rescue us, but he'll deliver us safely home. 
safely into his heavenly kingdom. It's, it's a picture of a bodyguard, the presidential bodyguards that we see on the movies. And what's their main goal is to get the president from A to B and to get him home safely every night. And so the, that's, that's, what God, that's what God promises for us. He promises that, that through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we're going to be protected all the way home. And even if we take our last breath here on earth, we are protected to the very moment we were ordained to meet Jesus Christ. And so we still win. It all comes down to it, verse 22. Verse 22, we love people. We know that it's going to be some good and bad in that area, but we trust the Lord because verse 22 reminds us that the Lord will be with your spirit and his grace will carry you. His grace will carry you all the way home. Remember those old shirts? Us old guys used to wear the no fear shirts. They've been out for a little while, I think. I think they've been out for like 15 years. I don't know, but... Bottom line is if we're going to live courageously for Jesus, we need to get those shirts out again in our hearts. And we're, no, we have no, no reason to fear because God is with us. God promises that when he is there, there's no reason to fear. We can live courageously for Jesus Christ. We can give our all to Jesus Christ. We can live 100% for him today. We can, we can come out of here and not just learn a bunch of good things from Scripture. We can go out of here and put these into action, knowing that it might be difficult, but it's going to be so full of joy, and we're going to be so alive with the life of Christ that it's going to be worth it all when we get to heaven. And no matter what happens here on earth, it's going to be okay because God's going to be with us. And so we can live courageously and victoriously for Jesus. Let's not get in this mindset. This is a good sermon series for church. This is to be lived out there. By God's help, we can do it. And victory is ours. It's really the gospel. This this whole book's the gospel. God saved us from the enemy. He saved us from our sin. Not just give us a free pass to heaven, then to empower us to live in righteousness, the calling of God, and, and share with as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ. He justified us. He sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. He's one day going to glorify us in heaven for his name's sake. And for this, we can rejoice and live courageously. My prayer for our church is that we would have this phrase in our hearts, on our minds, Every day as we wake up in the morning to go forward and say this, I'm going to live courageously for Jesus today and I'm going to put all of my trust in him alone. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in others. In God, I must trust to live out my days as the scripture calls me to. And if we do that, we're going to see God do some amazing things in our lives, in our church, maybe like never before. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace you've given us in your word. Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, reminding us, reminding us, God, of the the wonders of who you are, reminding us, God, that there is a courageous life to be lived out now as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for every person in this room that even today might be the day they decide this morning that they're done with weak need prayers. They're done with having no expectations of you answering or moving in their lives. They're done with, with dreams that are only themselves. And God, that they would say, I give it my all now. From this day forward, I'm gonna give it my all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to live courageously, to live intentionally, to live purposely that we might see your glory in our own lives, that others might know the true reality of who you really are, the awesome God of the universe who rescued us, who loves us, who has plans for us as individuals in our church, 
that he desires us to accomplish as we love each other and trust in him alone. God, would you do uh, what only you can in our hearts through this whole sermon series? In Jesus' name, amen.